all right, our women's study, uh, that did start this past Tuesday, and there was an awesome turnout. I was so excited to see so many women come out and, and participate in that study. And there's still, uh, still time for any ladies who have not um, yet joined or didn't come to the first one. That was somewhat of an introduction. And so it was a little bit of what, uh, what to expect and how it's going to go. And so you can still come. We have more books. Uh, if, if uh, ladies, you need a book and you haven't, haven't uh, been already, so please just talk with my wife uh, or any of the ladies here or, or me or one of the other pastors, and we can plug you in. But we would love to see all the women participate in that. It's an excellent study, and we're excited about what God is going to do in that study. So just know that. And that is this Tuesday at 6.30. And you can also participate uh, through Zoom. We were able to kind of do both simultaneously. So know that. Um, and then I want to remind you of our midweek study. Wednesday night, we are going through the, the book of First Samuel. And when we were meeting outdoors, uh, I was really excited to see the amount of people that were coming out to our midweek service. But uh, now that we're back indoors, I don't know if there's a correlation there, but attendance has been kind of creeping down on Wednesday night. So I just want to remind you and encourage you to please come out and be a part of that. You know, we take that seriously. God has called us as the pastors here to shepherd the flock and to feed the flock. And so that's, that's one of the main ways we do it through the teaching of the Word on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so it's important that you be in your Word on your own, feeding yourself, obviously. If all you're getting is what is happening on Sundays and even Wednesdays, that is not good. Uh, but it's, it's special to gather with the saints and to corporately sit under the teaching of God's Word. And we put a lot into it. We really study hard for you guys because uh, we don't want to waste your time either. Just know that if you come here, that's my prayer. It's like, God, please bless these folks because they took the time to come. And uh, I don't want it to be uh, a time wasted. And so we really put our, our hearts into this. I don't just buy my sermons off the Internet, I promise. And so uh, just know that. So Wednesday nights, that's our midweek study, 630 we are traveling through uh, the Old Testament, through the book of 1 Samuel, and that's how we do. Old Testament on, the, on Wednesday, New Testament on Sunday, and our goal is to just teach faithfully through the whole of, of God's Word. Amen? All right. Okay, so now I'll get a little more serious here. One more announcement. I just want to bring, uh, bring up the, the masks and the, the social distancing stuff. We haven't talked about this in quite a while, and uh, it's kind of come up again. I've had a few people, a few conversations in the last couple weeks, and with other pastors, and so I just realized this is something that we should revisit, and so if you would allow me just a minute to pastorally work through this a little bit, share my heart with, with you folks on this matter. I think we all know that there are a variety of opinions on the issue of masks. Do we not know that and feel that? And so there are people who think that we absolutely should be wearing them and that this is deadly dangerous. There are people who are just could go either way. It's not that big a deal. They'll wear them or not wear them. And then there are people who think that it's just an absolute infringement on our rights and that this whole thing is just blown way out of proportion and they don't want to wear the masks. And then you've got folks who, who say that they cannot wear the mask for health reasons. And I believe that to be a legitimate uh, a legitimate claim as well. So you just kind of have that all, all the way across the board, and I, I will recognize that right out the gate. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about where we stand in all of this and, and how we feel about the matter. First and foremost, I don't want anybody to get sick. You know that? I don't want anybody to get sick in this church. I don't want to bring reproach on the name of Christ. I don't want to bring reproach on our church in this community. So I, I do want to take seriously the the protocols to that end because you know uh, this virus is not religious you know what I mean when I say that it's not a respecter of persons or religion and so when uh, some churches and pastors really feel like they are fighting the cause for Christ by not obeying the protocols and then what happens they end up getting sick um, and so just because we are seeking to honor the Lord and gather the way that we are and I believe that we are that does not mean that someone couldn't get sick in here and so I praise God that that hasn't happened yet, and I hope that it does not happen. But if it did happen, I really wouldn't be shocked. And so we all know that when we come together, we're taking a risk, right? But I think that we've counted the cost, and I think we would all say that it's more important for us to be together. That's why you're here. 
And that's, that's life, is it not? I mean, there are risks galore from morning till night. And so just because we know there are risks in life, it doesn't stop us from the things that, that are important to us. And this is one. And I know that we love each other. We're a family. We love Christ. We want to gather together and worship Him. And so we, we have taken that, that chance. And I praise God for you and, and that we do. And so I want to continue to do that. You know, But there are a lot of people who haven't come back yet. There are a lot of people who haven't come back and I, I would love to see them come back, and I would love to see them feel safe in doing so. And uh, I'm, I'm worried, quite frankly, because uh, this thing is not going to just end, I think, anytime soon. You know what I mean? I think that uh, this thing's going to go well into 2021. The, the mask and the protocols and now the flu season is, is soon to come. And, you know, a lot of people aren't going to take that vaccine. You know that, right? And so... This thing is going to go on, and I'm, I, I fear for the people who haven't come back yet because you know what happens when you, when you isolate, when you separate yourself from, from the family, from the body? The, the enemy can really get a foothold in there, and people start sometimes um, getting even bitterness or resentment, and there are those divisions that, that spring up, and we've got a lot of brothers and sisters who this whole year, they haven't been back, and they've just been at home with their families and watching online and I'm, I'm deeply concerned for them because I, um, you know, they're, they're saying they're not going to come back until this thing is gone or until everyone wears their mask all the way through or until there's a vaccine. And so I, I'm concerned for, for the sake of our brothers and sisters who, who aren't here, who haven't come back. So those are the kinds of things that, that go through my mind, you know. Those are the things that I worry about. I don't want people who are here now to say, you know what, I'm not coming back because I'm sick of this mask business. Know what I mean? And so it's like that. I've got people who will leave if I if we start taking the mask and the the distancing more seriously. And so it's really there is a no win here really at the end of the day. But what it amounts to is love, love. Whether we whether we like it, whether we agree with it, uh, we have to consider what's best for the people around us and what's best for our brothers and sisters who are deeply concerned and and some of them uh, rightfully so they have underlying health issues and their families do too and they have elderly folks living with them that are are very uh, sensitive to the whole thing and we have to take that into consideration and so uh, I just wanted to bring it back up and just ask if we could as a body uh, do the loving thing and let's just um, take seriously the mask when when we're coming in and going if you're in your seat you can take your mask off, um, but when we're when we're traveling inside the building, um, and, and preferably outside, but it's not necessary outside as long as you can maintain distance. So no no handshaking, you know, fist bumps. Uh, you know, the hand sanitizer is out there. If you need masks, we have masks out there. And look, I think the general feeling is is we're all just kind of over it. Can, can I just say that? Don't don't you just feel kind of like tired of it? It's been going on for a long time, and so I think we've been just kind of getting into that. We've been kind of uh, getting into that slump of just not, not caring, not thinking about it. I'll be the first one to tell you I feel that way. And so, but I, for all the reasons that I just said, I, I want to take it seriously and uh, for, for love's sake and for the, for the health and the well-being of our brothers and sisters and, and all that good stuff. So does that sound good? That makes sense? You ain't mad with me, are you? Okay, good. All right, would you just stand in your, uh, where you are and let's pray. Let's pray to the Lord before we get into the Word. Father, we praise you and we thank you, God, that you've been so incredibly kind to us. The kindness that you have shown in opening our eyes and bringing us to a place of repentance and to a saving knowledge of your Son and to be children of God to know you as our loving and heavenly Father. Praise you, God. Thank you. I thank you for the kindness of calling us into your church and allowing us to experience the love of Christ when we interact with one another in fellowship. I thank you for this gift. We worship you for it. I thank you for these folks that are here that love you and love your word and love each other. I thank you for the folks that are at home right now. Though they are not here, they are with us in spirit, and they also long to hear from you and your word. 
And so, God, we humble ourselves before You and we declare that we desperately need You. We desperately need You. And we need to hear from Your Word. And Lord, there are many distractions. We come in with so many issues that would cause us, God, not to be able to meet with You and hear from You in the way that we would desire. So would You just, in this moment, Father, wash all of that away? Would You pour Your Spirit out upon us afresh in this place? And would You open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from Your Word today? Would You please speak through me, Father? Would You give me the ability to speak clearly and accurately and with conviction and reverence and love? and power, and would you receive honor and glory today as we have gathered here for you, and we worship you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. Romans chapter 14. We're going to be picking up in verse 13 today. So last week we talked about the fact that we all have convictions before the Lord. There are some things that are black and white. They are crystal clear. We cannot agree to disagree on. I, I talked about namely the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And there are so many other things that the Scriptures are, are crystal clear, and I am grateful for that. But there are other areas, uh, especially maybe practical issues, that aren't so clear, and we do indeed differ on these things. A lot of churches differ compared to other churches, and even within the church there are so many different uh, views and convictions on a variety of things. We talked about that last week. I'll, I'll bring some of those up again today. But now the text transitions at this point in the chapter, and we're going to move away from the idea of allowing that we all have a variety of convictions, and we should allow each, each person to have those convictions and take them seriously because we answer to the Lord. Remember, we talked about that last week. Now Paul's going to say that we should consider the good of our brothers and sisters. If there is something that we know is a real struggle, a real issue for our brothers and sisters, but yet we have the liberty, that's an important word, we have the liberty, we have the freedom to enjoy those things. We should consider putting those things aside so not to hurt or stumble our brothers and sisters because that is much more important. That is the loving thing to do. The willingness to do the hard thing, to do the thing that, uh, that really it's not even a struggle for us, but it is for somebody else. So we're, we're willing to go the extra mile for love's sake. And so that's, that's kind of the idea of the, of the text this week. And so I've titled it, Love Forgoes Personal Freedom. And by that I mean freedom in practical matters where we don't feel convicted. We, there are certain things that we can enjoy before the Lord and it's really not a problem, but there are things that other people cannot. And it could be music, it could be movies, it could be a, a variety of things. And I'll, I'll use some of those kinds of examples today. And, and quite frankly, I would say that, that masks fit very well into this message. And I'll, I'll kind of uh, throw that out there where I think it's, it's appropriate. But it's the idea of looking out for each other in love and being willing to humble ourselves and die to ourselves for the good of our brothers and sisters. Now, I realize this can't always happen. It's not always appropriate. There are times when we just can't please other people. There are times when our convictions are such that we can't set certain things aside for, for the good of other people. And, you know, that was the case, I think, with Jesus and the Pharisees. They were constantly hammering down on him about the Sabbath, but he would not, he would not go there. You know, Jesus continued to, to operate and to, to do healings and miracles on the Sabbath. And that, that is a debate even to this day. We have Christian brothers and sisters who believe that we should be recognizing the Saturday Sabbath. And I have a strong conviction that that's not what the New Testament teaches. So I don't. I don't observe the, the Saturday Sabbath. And Sunday is not, while we gather today on Sunday, it's not an issue of the Sabbath. It's remembering the resurrection, the first day of the week when our Lord rose from the grave. And so that's not a conviction of ours, and, and you know we're firm in that, and so we don't. So there's a time and a place for these kinds of things, and it, it takes wisdom, it takes humility, it takes being led by the Spirit, but there is a time and a place when we have to set aside our preferences and our personal freedoms for the sake of love. 
And that's really the heart of this text. It's about grace. It's about understanding. Instead of dividing or judging or stumbling, we are to humble ourselves and love. And that really describes our movement, Calvary Chapel, even from its inception in the very beginning. The hippie folks, remember that? And so God was moving in extraordinary ways, uh, really, especially in Southern California, down in Costa Mesa in the 60s. And Pastor Chuck was a very conservative man. And so always suit and tie in the pulpit and hymns and the whole nine. And all of a sudden, God was moving in extraordinary ways with the, with the hippies. And they're coming into the church with their long hair and, and no shoes on. And people were shocked by this. It, was, it sounds so silly now, I think, but the, the long hair was such an issue back then in the church. And people just, no, oh, look at those hippies and the long hair. And just, it was just this, uh, this contention as a result. And so I told the story before. It's such a classic story. They had new carpet in the uh, sanctuary. And some of the elders of the church recognized that these kids were coming in with bare feet and dirty feet. So they put out a sign that says you can't come in unless you have shoes on. And Pastor Chuck saw that sign before service and tore it up and called a meeting and said, we'll rip this carpet out before we tell anyone they can't come in. And so he was a very conservative man, and he came up in a place where it was very much suit and tie and, and real uptight, but he was willing to make those kinds of concessions for love's sake, uh, for the sake of those uh, whom Christ was drawing. He didn't want to hinder that. And so that's the idea. And so that has marked our movement from the beginning. We are grace people, Jesus people. And so um, that, that's, the, that's really the, the idea of this text. And that's, that's really where we're going with it. So I just want you to kind of understand that. So with that, let's get into it. The first point, don't judge or stumble one another in matters of personal freedom. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So therefore, he says, therefore, what is the therefore? That is, since we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we left off last week, remember? We're not going to judge each other on that day. We're going to stand before the Lord and we will all be judged accordingly for the things that we did for Christ and the motivations uh, with which that we, we served the Lord. And so we don't have to judge each other because we're all going to be judged by the perfect judge, the Lord Jesus. So in light of that, therefore, he says, let us not judge one another. And that is over non-essential issues. And he gave some examples last week. He talked about food and he talked about days. And so I went into that uh, in depth last week, and I'll just uh, recap a little bit. Food was a major issue in the church because there were people who had been involved in pagan idolatry, Christians who had come out of that, and a very real part of their worship system was to sacrifice animals in the temple. And so what could be, uh, what was disposable, the carcass, the entrails, they would burn it entirely, and then they would take the, the good meat and sell it to the meat market. And so when people bought food, and sometimes the meat market would be right there in the temple or somewhere nearby, when people bought that meat, uh, it was common knowledge that that meat may have been offered to an, an idol. And so Christians who came out of idolatry, they said, man, I can't eat that meat. I can't in good conscience because I know where it has been. And, you know, some people would say, look, there is no God but our God. Those idols are not gods at all, so I'm going to eat that meat. I don't care. And so that would be a real division in the church there, the meat eaters versus the non-meat eaters. And that was a raging issue, a raging debate. It was very emotionally charged. And so Paul said we have to be willing to uh, honor each other's convictions in these areas and not judge each other for it, but recognize that each person has to stand before the Lord for how they honored their own convictions. And so that's kind of the idea there. Now, Paul continues to use this illustration of food throughout this whole chapter. So as we're looking at our verses today, it's, we're still very much in that context, very much so with the issue of, of food offered to idols and, 
and eating it versus not not eating it and setting aside those freedoms for the sake of love, so on and so forth. And so that's kind of the context here. And Paul says that we must resolve not to put a stumbling block in front of our brothers or sisters. We must resolve not to do so. So there's two different words here, stumbling block and cause to fall. You'll notice that in the verses. And those are two separate ideas. So a stumbling block would be something set up to trip somebody. And so you know, you could probably picture it in your mind. Someone has a, a rope laying across the ground tied to something and you're waiting on someone to come running and you pull the rope and it goes up 12 inches and they trip over the rope. That would be the idea of tripping someone up, putting something out in front of them that would cause them to stumble. This phrase, cause to fall, it's a different phrase. It's one word in the Greek and it's scandalon is the Greek word from which we get scandal. And it is like uh, the bait in a trap, the bait stick that, that lures someone in and then causes the trap to go off like a mouse trap. You put the cheese or peanut butter on that little switch and and then it causes the, uh, the trap to go off. That's the idea. So we're not to trip people. We're not to trap people. You know, just a crazy story. When I was a kid, I had some of my family play a joke on me like this. We were, uh, I was sleeping, and I had my window open at night, and I had a fan in the window. And so they took thumbtacks and threw them all outside my bedroom door. And they went outside and they threw a cup of water through my window, which knocked the fan over on me and I was drenched. And so what do you think I, I did? I jumped up in shock and ran out my door and right through the thumbtacks I went. And so that's a scandal on right there, okay? And so none of us would do that to each other. I mean, really, I don't know, maybe you would, but that's not what's going on in our mind when we're thinking about our personal liberties and freedoms. It's not malicious. We don't want to trip each other up. We don't want to entrap each other. But we can be guilty of that and not even realize it. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Don't, don't set up a, a stumbling block. Don't trip up your brothers and sisters. Don't trap them. We certainly wouldn't do it on purpose, but I think we could all be possibly guilty of having done it unintentionally and not even know it. Or maybe we have been in that position where we've been pressured or even mocked or, or tripped up over something that was a problem for us, but it wasn't for other people. And so that's, that's, uh, that's what Paul is getting at here. And he said, we must resolve. We must resolve that we're not going to do this, that we're not going to do this. That is to purpose in our minds and our hearts that we will never set another up to fall. We've got to take it that seriously. We have to be mindful of it. And so we must realize, point two, that convictions may differ from person to person and still be valid. You may feel one way about something, I may feel another way about it, and we can both be right at the same time before the Lord. So verse 14, he says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So Paul says nothing in and of itself is unclean. That is to say that most things are morally neutral. Money, TVs, computers, phones. We know that those are things that can be used for evil and they are things that can be used for good. Have you ever heard the saying that money is the root of all evil? Well, that's not an accurate statement. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so money in and of itself is not an evil thing, but it can be used for evil. It can become evil when, that's, when the love of our heart, our, our hearts love money and wealth, and that's what we're living for. And that's the point Paul is making here, is that so many of these things that we, we differ on, they are neutral in and of themselves. They're not good, they're not bad, it just depends on the person and their relation to these various things. And then he said, I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus. So Paul was totally confident in his stance on this. He knew it and he was convinced before the Lord Jesus. He said, however, if somebody is convicted by it, then to them it is not neutral. You have to understand that. If somebody is deeply grieved over a particular issue or unsettled in their own heart, it is not a matter of neutrality at that point. 
To them, it is absolutely sin. And you know, I think that's kind of uh, appropriate with the, the masks. And let me just say this. When I talk about these different things, I'm not making a distinction between who's the weaker brother and who is not. I think it just the application is there, that there are things that we can split right down the middle on, and we can both feel so convinced that we are right, and then we can begin to judge each other or condemn each other or separate from each other. And so, uh, as I said, the, the, the mask has become really, I think, the, the central issue in this, in this category. Um, and the vaccines, when that, when that comes out too, I really worry about what, what that's going to be like. But that's, you know, that's the idea. And so we have to purpose in our minds and our hearts. We're not going to set each other up to fall. We need to recognize that these things in and of themselves are not not necessarily bad. It depends on each person. And to the person who, who believes that it is sin, it is sin. You need to know that. Sometimes maybe you may wonder that in your own life. We'll talk more about that later if there's something that you struggle with or are concerned about and you wonder, is this sin? We'll talk about that. But you know, I'm going to pick on myself today, okay? I'm just going to let myself be the, the butt of the, the jokes here. And so for me, one of these areas was martial arts. Many years and many pounds ago, I got into martial arts, and I loved it, man. I was on fire for, for, for that, and so it became a passion in my life, and I had a, a certain um, level of ability there, and I just started to notice some subtle changes in my, in my personality, and I began to identify myself really as a, not a Christian, not as a follower, but as a martial artist, you know, and just weird little things, you know. I just wish somebody would look at me sideways. I'll put the fear of God in that person. And, you know, just a, a variety of things. And um, I started to realize, man, I think I'm in idolatry here. And I wondered if the Lord was, was telling me I needed to, to back away from martial arts. And I didn't know if that's what he was telling me to do, but it occurred to me that if he was, I wasn't willing to. And that was when I knew that this was idolatry, that this had taken God's rightful place in my life, and that I needed to cut it out. And so for me, it was sin. And God made that crystal clear, so much so that many, many times thereafter, I tried to go back. And as soon as I had decided in my mind I was going to do it, it was like the clouds just kind of came overhead. And I just sensed God's displeasure, and I knew that I was in sin. Now, martial arts in and of themselves are not a bad thing, but for me, it had become sin. And so I, I just was not allowed to do that, you know. I mean, the reality was that um, if I were to put my hands in my pockets, they could have got me for concealment of a deadly weapon, and I did not have a, a permit there, so I had to, that was a joke, it just totally <laughs> bombed. I told that to Dan the other day, and he just thought that was so great, and I was like, that's sure to get him. Anyways, so concealment of a deadly weapon, these hands, so anyways... But, you know, that was uh, just a very real situation for me. And, you know, I tried to explain that to my instructor, and it's like, good luck trying to explain that one, you know. And it didn't go over so well. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that if our brother or sister, if they're grieved in any area that is neutral, we have a responsibility to do the loving thing. If somebody is grieved in an area that we might consider neutral, we are... We are um, Held by love. We are obligated by love to do the right thing. So that brings us to point three. Loving our neighbor supersedes our own personal freedoms. Loving our neighbor supersedes our own personal freedoms. Verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. That's heavy. So if someone is grieved through your insistence, your persistence, you know, I enjoy this thing and I'm going to enjoy it whether you like it or not, whether it bothers you or not, because I'm free in Christ to do so. If that is your attitude that will grieve your brother or sister, you are not walking in love. And Paul says that we are destroying the one for whom Christ died. We are not fulfilling the royal law of love, quite the opposite. Now, remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. That, that, all of this could be condensed down to that, that law, that we are to love God and we are to love others as ourselves, right? 
And so that's the idea here. Paul says, if you insist on this particular area, even to the detriment of your brother and sister, you're not walking in love. You're not fulfilling the royal law of love. And so that was the idea of really this whole portion of Scripture is that love is the standard and we are to love our neighbors. And loving our neighbors sometimes supersedes even our own preferences, our own freedoms and liberties. And so we have to take that into consideration. He says, Paul says, you're using your freedom to stumble the one for whom Christ died. That's heavy. Have you ever thought about that? When you uh, maybe have some frustration in your heart with somebody else, you're looking at them and maybe even judging them. Do you ever stop and think that's someone for whom Christ died just as much as you are? And they are the servant of the Lord just as much as you are. And God loves them just as much as He loves you. And we have to take seriously that. Think of all that Christ endured. Think of all that Christ endured to redeem that brother or sister from sin. And then we're just going to pull them right back in because we don't think it's sin, but they do. They do. And so we're, we're going to trip them up or, or trap them, as it were, in sin? Absolutely not. And Jesus doesn't take kindly to that. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. Mark 9, 42, it says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus said it would be better for you if you were to, to cause one of my people to sin, to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone. You know what a millstone is. There is a small millstone, which is uh, one round stone with another one of like size on top of it, and a hole right in the middle. They would pour grain into it, and there would be a stick on both sides, and a person would stand on either side, and they would twist uh, that upper stone around in a circle, and it would grind that grain into powder. So that's a millstone. Well, there was a giant millstone where they would have to have a beast of burden that would actually be attached to it that would walk around in a circle. And if I'm not mistaken here, and I think that I remember hearing it said, that's the word that Jesus used here for the gigantic millstone. And that's a very vivid picture I think you have in your mind. Jesus said it would be better for a person to have one of those attached to them and thrown into the ocean than to stumble one of these who believe in me. And so it's serious to Jesus that we not stumble each other, that we not tempt each other, but that we encourage and protect each other, that we provoke each other unto good works and love. Amen? So while loving our neighbor and making sure to never stumble them is crucial, there is yet another motivation to set aside our own personal freedoms. And that leads us to point four. Point four. Our, citizen, uh, excuse me, our citizenship supersedes our personal freedom. Now, point three, I said that loving our neighbor supersedes our personal freedom. But point four, our citizenship supersedes our personal freedom. Verse 16, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So don't let what is permissible in your own eyes, that is, don't let your good, that which is good to you, which is permissible to you, don't let that become an evil thing to another person. They struggle in that area. You don't. Now, it's not sin for you to enjoy that thing, whatever that may be. But if you do so in front of somebody who it is a sin, what is good for you has become evil. Paul says, don't do that. He says there is more to life than eating and drinking. He's still talking about meat and so on and so forth in this particular, this particular context. But he says that there's more to life than that. There's something much bigger here than that. And it's a kingdom matter. You know, we live in a kingdom that says eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow, what? We die. That's all there is. They say this is it. So live it to the fullest. Eat and drink and be merry because there's nothing after this. And so it's, it's just base, animalistic, 
uh, ways of living and thinking and operating. But we are of another kingdom that says you better believe that there is something more than this and there is something after this. And what we do here and the way that we live here affects that next life. And so we have to have a kingdom mentality. We are of another kingdom. It is a kingdom where righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit are central, as Paul says here in verse 17. Then he says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. You know, we're of a kingdom that prizes humbling ourselves to serve others. That's the kingdom that we are of. Not this kingdom. Not this kingdom that is all about self. He who dies with most toys wins. Get to the top. Step on anyone you have to to get there. That's not the kingdom that we're of. We're of a kingdom that says that we set our preferences, our freedoms aside for the good of other people. And that's exactly what our Lord did, is it not? Philippians chapter 2, classic text. I'm sure you know it well. Verse 3, Paul is talking about this very thing. He's encouraging the Philippians not to fight amongst themselves, but to humble themselves and to serve each other, to set their own personal concerns, preferences aside, and esteem others as more important than themselves. Verse 3 in chapter 2 of Philippians, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So we're supposed to be looking out for the good of others, more than ourselves even. And now Paul's going to give the ultimate example of this, our Lord Jesus. Verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we're to imitate Christ in this. We're to have His mind in this area. He says in verse 6, "...who though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross." So our king did not cling to his heavenly glory, but he let that go. And he, he descended. He came from heaven to earth. He went from as high as you can go to as low as you can go. Why? For us. Because he recognized our need. We needed him. We needed salvation that only he could bring. We needed to be brought up from the pit. And we needed to be set free. And we needed salvation. And He was the only one that could accomplish that for us. He didn't have to do that. But He, he set His glory aside for a time, took the form of a human, and He was obedient all the way to the point of death for us. That is, that is humility like no other. Humility like no other. That's the kingdom that we are of. That is our King. And so we're to have that mind in ourselves and we're to look out for other people, for what is best for them, for what encourages and strengthens them in their walk. Amen? And so being of another kingdom, that supersedes our own personal freedom. It says that the one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God. This word acceptable, you know, it's like Old Testament uh, sacrificial system language. When, when a sacrifice was made to God, when something was offered on the altar and the, the aroma of that sacrifice would rise to the heavens as it were, it would be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And um, the New Testament uses that same language of our lives. When we are living a pleasing life before the Lord, that's what our lives are like. It's like a sweet-smelling aroma God accepts that. It's an acceptable sacrifice to God. When we serve Christ in this way, our lives are acceptable to God. They are a sweet-smelling aroma. He also says that we are approved by men. That word approved, it means examined and appraised as authentic. Those around us know that we're the real deal when we can humble ourselves and set aside our preferences and, and love for one another. People look at that and they think, I, I don't know that I agree with what it is they believe, but one thing's for sure, they're the real deal. And so we are acceptable to God and approved by men. When we are obnoxious and self-serving with our freedoms, we are not pleasing to God. 
And we're a bad witness to Christ and others. You know, I've talked about how our lives are like a pleasing aroma rising to the heavens. I've talked about this before. Have you ever cut an onion before? You know what that's like? Your eyes are burning and, and you can't see and you're crying. That's what our lives are like. It's like that. It's not a sweet-smelling aroma. It's not pleasing. It burns. It's obnoxious. And so we don't want to be like that. We want to be acceptable to God and approved by men walking in love and humility and looking out for each other. Not demanding our own rights. Not demanding our way. But in humility, setting that aside for the love of others. Well, Paul goes on to say that the true goal is to encourage others. That's the goal. The goal is not for us and our enjoyments, but to encourage others. Point five. Our goal is not to enjoy personal freedoms, but to build another up. Verse 19, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify another. That's what we are to pursue. He says, therefore. There it is again. There's another therefore. What is that therefore? Since we are servants of Christ in the kingdom of God. Since we are servants of Jesus in the kingdom of God, he said, let us pursue the things which make for peace. This word pursue here in the Greek, it is to aggressively chase after, like a hunter pursuing a prized catch. It can be used negatively to mean to zealously persecute, but it can also be used positively to earnestly pursue. And so that's the idea. We're to take it that seriously. We're not to be casual about these things. We are to take seriously pursuing the things which make for peace aggressively. You, you follow me? You understand? We are to be aggressive about these things. Take it that seriously. And what is it? The things which make for peace. You know the idea of biblical peace? Shalom in the Old Testament. The idea is when things are as they ought to be. When there's balance in your life. When you're, there's the rhythm of life. You're right with God. You're right with with uh, your brothers and sisters, you're walking in the light, and life is good, and God's blessing is on you. That's, that's the peace of God, and that can be disrupted by sin. In fact, it is disrupted. And so if there is something that I enjoy, say, I, I'll just use the example of a movie. Let's say watching a movie that is uh, filled with, with foul language or, or violence or something that, something that someone else, their conscience is sensitive and they, they, they are not okay with that, but I insist on watching this movie, then their conscience is defiled. I have disrupted that peace in their life. I have not pursued the thing which makes for peace. I have obliterated it. And so we're not to do that. Instead of insisting on watching this movie, I should say instead, well, let's do something else because I want to encourage you in that. I don't want to stumble you in that area. I don't want to do something that is going to hurt you. I don't want to do something that is going to tempt you or stumble you. I want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Let me pursue the things which make for, uh, for peace. Things that edify, Paul says. This word edify, it, it means to build up, to encourage, to strengthen. I think, but the word, to say to build up is, is really the essence of it. What, what would be the opposite of building up? Tearing down, exactly. We're to pursue the things that build people up, not tear them down. Ephesians 4.29 and verse 30, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. There's that word. That it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So Paul here in Ephesians 4 says that we're not to let corrupt words or corrupt speech come out of our mouths, but only that which is good for edification. The word corrupt here is sapros, and it means rotten, and it's used in some places for rotten fish and rotten fruit, right? What would happen if you were to ingest rotten fish or rotten fruit? You get poison, food poisoning. And so that's what Paul is essentially saying here. Our speech can be poisonous. It can make people sick. It can hurt them. And there are all kinds of ways in which we can poison each other and, and corrupt one another. And Paul says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what happens when we do that. We tear each other down and we grieve the Spirit of God. 
Instead, we are to pursue those things which make for peace and which build up our brothers and sisters and delights the heart of God. Amen? Amen. So that's our goal. Our goal is one another. It's not me. It's you. We are living for each other. In verse 20, he says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumble or is offended or is made weak. So he says, don't hinder what God is doing in someone's life over something as trivial as food. You know, as I said, that was a real issue back then. But really, at the end of the day, it it shouldn't have been. It's a small matter for the person who had freedom in that area. And Paul said, don't destroy the work of God. Don't hinder what God is doing in this person's life. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship. We are God's work of art. Literally, that word poema. We're God's poem. Or we're God's craftsmanship. We're God's building. Don't bust the window out of God's building. God is doing something awesome in people's lives. He's doing a beautiful work. Who are we to come along and, and devastate that or hinder that? Paul says, don't do that. Don't destroy the work of God. It may be a non-issue for you, but it's evil for the one whose conscience is offended. Paul says, it's better to abstain altogether for the sake of love than to engage in something detrimental. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you'll recall, Uh, I talked about this, I think, a little bit last week. But this is a counterpart to uh, Romans 14. I mean, it is, uh, it's almost an identical text as far as what Paul is talking about. And there he really zeroes in on the issue of meat that had been offered to idols in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's It's a lengthy text, so I just picked a few verses out that really summarize what he's saying here, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4, 7, and 13, Paul says this, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Verse 7, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And so Paul is saying that concerning the things offered to idols, we know there's only one God. We know there is only one God. So that meat has been offered essentially to nothing. But for the person who just came out of idolatry, they don't have that same confidence. So for them, it is sin. And then he says, Therefore, if my food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again lest I make my brother stumble. And so Paul said, I'm willing to forego that. You know, for me, alcohol was, was one of those. When I, uh, I grew up, my family are alcoholics. I've seen real tragedy there. And, you know, for me, somehow I managed to be one who I could drink socially and uh, it, it would not wreck my life, but I've seen so many people who can't. And when I came into ministry, I had purposed then And all the more since then I have resolved, I'll never drink again. I don't want anyone to ever say, well, Pastor Rob could drink, and so I can too, because there are too many people around me who cannot, and their lives have been destroyed by alcohol. So that's something that I believe the Bible says. And look, please don't get mad at me about this. I know that the economy of Napa runs on, on wine, okay? I know this. And so I'm not, I'm not picking on alcohol or wine or people that work in the wine industry at all. The Bible does not say that is a sin. I just know that, that the Bible does say drunkenness is, and I've seen the destruction that has followed that. And so that was just one simple way which I made up in my own mind and heart that I would forego that. Even though I could, um, I won't because of love's sake, because the children in the youth group that I pastor were more important to me. I didn't want them getting set on that trajectory to know that some of them would be able to, to drink and they would be okay, but there would be others in that group who one day their lives would be destroyed. And on and on it goes with the bridge ministry here. My brothers that have come out of that background, I take that seriously. They look to me. They look to us. They look to the pastors and the people of this church. 
And so there are many different ways in which we can flesh this out. That's just another one right there. So I talked about martial arts, movies, you know, alcohol. Last week I talked about so many other issues where there is such a dividing line. Um, and so on and on it goes. And it really does differ from person to person. But we're all affected by this. I might not know what it is for you exactly, but we all know there are issues where we divide right down the middle and we struggle in these areas. It's an issue to us or it's a non-issue and we differ with other people. And again, I, I keep going back to it. The mask thing truly is, I think, right now the most applicable of all of these uh, because it is right down the middle and there are so many different feelings and thoughts about it. And Paul says that for love's sake, we need to be willing to do, do the hard thing. You know, and so I, I honestly think that in this situation with with the masks, um, it would stumble someone to try to say you shouldn't wear that mask. I think that you're just scared or, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. You'll hear people use that kind of language. That's not the loving thing to do. I think to to put on the mask. I love you and I want you here and I don't want to stumble you or or you potentially get sick, and so I'll, I'll wear the mask. You know, that, that kind of thing. That's, that's what, what Paul is getting at here. Well, Paul will go on to say, however, that if you choose to exercise that particular freedom, be careful how you do so. Point six, each person is accountable for how they enjoy their freedoms. We all have to answer to the Lord for that. Verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. So Paul says, do you have faith? And the idea here is, do you have a clear conscience in the matter? Is this something that you can enjoy before the Lord and it does not bother you? It's not sin? Good. He says, enjoy that freedom in such a way that it does not stumble or tempt other people. And that's such an important truth. There are things that we can enjoy that other people can't, and we should make an effort not to just flaunt it in front of other people uh, or to enjoy that freedom in such a way that really does hurt other people or stumble other people. And, and we can totally do this, you know, and so we have to be careful about that. He says, Blessed is the one who does not bring guilt on himself by enjoying his freedom in a way that hurts other people who don't share that same freedom. That's essentially what he's saying. Happy is the one. Blessed is the one who is able to enjoy that freedom in such a way that does not bring guilt on himself for enjoying it in front of other people who don't have that same freedom. Paul goes on to say that just as the free person is accountable for how they enjoy their freedom, point seven each person is accountable for how they obey their convictions. So some people are free in certain areas, but they still have to, to guard that so not to hurt or stumble other people. And they are accountable before the Lord as to how they do this. But conversely, for the people who are convicted in these matters, they are accountable for how they obeyed their convictions. If it's real to you, it's real. You need to know that. And you have to stand before the Lord. So verse 23, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So conversely, guilty is the one who partakes in something they don't have the freedom to enjoy before the Lord. Guilty is the one who enjoys something or partakes of something that they're not free to do so in. You know, it says, whatever a person cannot do in faith, whatever they cannot do with a clear conscience, they are doing it sinfully. And so um, years ago, I went to a movie in a movie theater with a large group of Christians. I didn't know them too well, but um, I tagged along. And um, it was not a bad movie, really. It was a, an action movie, kind of a comedy, suspense, thriller. I mean, just really interesting movie, but somewhat of a, like, um, there's criminal activity happening. They're trying to find the perpetrator, and the perpetrator was involved in some kind of demonic stuff. And so there were just a lot of undertones of, of demonic activity and Bible verses being twisted and a lot of references. So it was really bothering me. It was really grieving me. And I was struggling so bad with this during the movie that I started feeling like I'm in sin by, by sitting here and watching this because I just, I, you know, it was just bothering me. It was. 
And I got to the point where I felt like if I don't get up and, and leave, not in some big protest or trying to, you know, be all dramatic about it, but if I, if I don't go and I sit here, then I felt like I'm sinning before the Lord because I don't have a peace. I don't have faith in this issue. This is really bothering me. And, uh, you know, again, it's the kind of thing where, like, Jesus died for this kind of stuff. This stuff is making a mockery of, of the Lord and the Bible, and, and I, I can't sit here and be entertained by this. And that was a conviction that I, that I, I held deeply. So I, I left, you know. I quietly just let the people know, hey, I got to go. And I went, and, you know, that, that is just one of those realities where if there's something that you don't have that freedom if you can't do it in faith, if your conscience is not clear, don't do it. Don't do it. Because to you, it is sin. And that's such an important principle. You need to know that. There are things for you that may be sin that may not be for other people. And so you don't want to judge them, but you don't need to partake of it either. If it bothers you, don't do it. Right? We don't want to toy with sin. We want to flee from it. Right? I talked about that last week. We don't want to desensitize ourselves or numb our sensitivity. If you're sensitive to something, hey, praise God for that. You know, that's the conviction that you have. Don't go out of your way to desensitize yourself. You know, I want to be sensitive to, to the Lord, and if I have a conviction in that area, I don't want to just do it until I'm not convicted anymore. That's a terrible thing. You know, we want, we want to, uh, to be careful to... Um, to not desensitize ourselves, as I said. Don't quench the Spirit. That's another way the Bible puts it. By engaging in something that you don't have a clear conscience on. Don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit is grieved by that in you. Don't quench the Spirit. That is to say, don't dump water on the fire. Don't put the fire out. We don't want to quench the Spirit by engaging in something that we don't have a clear conscience on, and we don't want to grieve the Spirit by stumbling someone in an area that they don't have a clear conscience in. And so it's just a balance that we have to walk. This is part of the Christian life. This is very practical stuff. And Paul is talking to the, the Christians there in Rome, and nearly 2,000 years later, he's talking here to the Christians in Napa. And he's saying that we have to be sensitive to our own conscience not to be in sin, but we have to be sensitive to the conscience of our brothers and sisters, not to stumble them or trip them up into sin either. It looks different for each person in different situations. We have to be led by love and led by the Spirit and walk in wisdom. As I said, it's a moving target, but the Lord will. The Lord will lead us in this way, but we have to be open to that, and we have to be those who are humble before the Lord. And I think that's what it boils right down to. Are we a church of humble Christ followers? Are we a church of people that love each other so much that we would set aside things that really don't bother us for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ because it does bother them? Are we of that kingdom, that king? Is that our king? Do we look like him? Do we have that mind in us, that mind which was in Christ Jesus? Are we those who are setting aside our preferences to serve and to love other people? I believe that we are. I believe that this church is that kind of church, and I praise God for that. And I just want to encourage us to keep, keep that up, to have that mindset, to walk in that light. And whatever opportunity God gives you to walk in this, do it in obedience and, and to His glory and for the good of each other. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we praise your holy name and we thank you for your holy word. How relevant it is, how practical it is, how insightful it is. And I, uh, I just pray, God, that we would be those who heed your word, that we would hear it and that we would obey it, that we would walk in your ways and bring honor to your name. God, help our church. These have been very difficult times. I'm fearful, God. Um, so many that we haven't seen in so long. Lord, I just pray for them. God, we miss them and we love them. We desire to see them again. And so uh, I know that they, they will hear from you, Father, and they will, uh, they will do what, what you would have them to do. And so I just pray for all of us, all of those who, who make up Calvary Napa. God, would you please bless us, fill us with your spirit. Give us this kind of love and humility. Lord, may we walk in the light and may we do the practical things. May we do the hard things. May we do the loving things. God, please bless your church. Bless your people. We need you now more than ever. 
Times have been so uncertain and they continue to be. But Lord, You are certain. You are sure. You know all things. You are our rock. You are our firm foundation. You are our strong tower that we can run into and find shelter. And so we look to You, King Jesus. Praise You, Lord. We love You. I just pray a special blessing upon all these people here today and those who are watching from at home. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.